Thanks, Avalash. Can I start by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land on which we're meeting and pay respect to Elders past and present and uh, acknowledge any Indigenous people uh, who are speaking here today. Uh, my talk uh, does, uh, does have the sort of flavour of a sermon, uh, but I'm very glad that you've set up exactly the right physical setting uh, for me to proselytise to you the benefits of randomised trials. Uh, I've got to say, it's also just really nice to be talking to human beings again. Uh, I don't know about everyone else, but uh, after a couple of years of staring at screens, it's really nice to, to be uh, back having a, a proper conversation uh, with a group of people who are doing some of the most important work uh, in social policy today. Uh, what you're doing is really exciting, and I'm uh, very grateful for to have the chance to, to speak to you today. Uh, a couple of years ago, uh, the Sacred Heart Mission in Melbourne decided they wanted to evaluate the impact of intensive caseworker support for people who'd been long-term homeless. Uh, their client base were people who'd been uh, sleeping on the streets for many years, sometimes decades, uh, and they felt that intensive caseworker support might make a real difference in the life chances of those who uh, were, were in the program. Uh, so, to their credit, they set up a randomised trial. 40 long-term homeless people were assigned to receive three years of intensive caseworker support, uh, and 40 were not. Uh, not everyone reacted well to being told that they were being placed in a control group. Uh, one of the uh, uh, organisers of the trial said that uh, uh, one of the people he was working with simply responded with F.U. when he was told that he'd been left out of intensive caseworker support. Uh, but they did it because they wanted to know the impact of this very expensive program. Uh, just four clients for every caseworker. Case three years on, they looked to see what the results were. And in general, found them extremely disappointing. Uh, of the treatment group who'd received three years of intensive caseworker support, they were more likely to be in a home and more likely to have slightly better mental wellbeing. But their physical health hadn't improved their connections with friends and family weren't a great deal better, and only two of those in the treatment group had jobs, uh, as compared to two as well in the control group. But what this tells you isn't that intensive caseworker support isn't worth trying. It's that it is really hard to turn around the lives of extremely disadvantaged people over the course of three years. Uh, as uh, one of the people who was uh, administering the trial reminded me uh, these were people who had lived dysfunctional lives, uh, often been abused as ch uh, children. Uh, one of them had recounted to her caseworker uh, the story of her mum sprinkling Valium on her cornflakes in order to keep her quiet. Uh, so it wasn't surprising in some sense that intensive caseworker support didn't transform lives. There's been plenty of evaluations of homelessness programs in Australia but I'm not sure that we should trust any of them as much as we trust the results from the Journey to Social Inclusion randomised trial. Randomised trials have helped to transform other areas of social policy as well. If you're interested in the economics of health insurance, uh, very often your touchstone will be the RAND health insurance experiments, which randomly assign people to different types of health care from 1974 to 1982, and produced important findings such as the notion that even requiring a small co-payment could frequently lead people to cease using preventive health. Uh, 
the Perry Preschool Program is uh, the touchstone for many early childhood programs today, uh, showing as it did that if you worked with an extremely disadvantaged group of people and provided high quality early childhood programs, you could return $7 in benefits for every $1 in costs. But we need to be clear, they were an extremely disadvantaged group of people. Uh, those in the control group, uh, men in the control group on average, uh, had committed a felony before they were age 25. Uh, the typical woman in the control group had, had, a had become a teenage mum. And so I'm not sure we should expect the results of Perry Preschool to automatically translate to providing early childhood programs to middle class families in Australia. Uh, the Moving to Opportunity study in the United States to me was a fascinating one because it was just uh, being analysed when I was studying in the States and uh, getting a, a sense of randomised trials at the time. Uh, it had involved thousands of people across five US cities uh, who were assigned either to traditional housing vouchers or to housing vouchers that required them to move to a low poverty neighbourhood. Initially the results were a bit troubled. Uh, test scores didn't seem to be improving a great deal. Uh, there weren't big improvements in uh, labour market outcomes for the adults that moved. But then a team led by Raj Chetty went back, matched moving to opportunity respondents to tax and school data and found something else really interesting. For the kids who moved when they were very young, there was a big impact. But for those who moved in their teenage years, much less. Moving to opportunity worked, but it worked just for those who got the full treatment. Uh, here in New South Wales, uh, we're in uh, the home of one of Australia's best run and most influential randomised trials. The randomised trial of the New South Wales Drug Court, put in place by the Carr government in the late 1990s. That was done at a time of the heroin wave hitting Sydney, in which a lock them up and throw away the key attitude prevailed. The government sought to see whether providing uh, a different path to treatment, uh, one that emphasised encouraging people to break their addiction rather than simply throwing them in jail, would work. It was more expensive, so they need to show not only that it worked for the, cli the clients themselves, but that it worked for the broader community. And in both regards, it was a raging success. Uh, those who went through the drug court were not only less likely to have a drug addiction, but they were also less likely to have committed an offence in the follow-up year. Uh, that meant that the uh, pr pr Premier then could go on Alan Jones or John Laws and make very clear that any listener who wanted less crime should support the drug court, even if they placed no value on the well-being uh, of those drug-addicted people who were going through the program. Drug courts are now being rolled out across uh, the country and around the world, and many researchers look to the New South Wales Drug Court randomised trial. Now, randomised trials work because they give you a credible counterfactual. The problem with so many studies is that frequently uh, the counterfactual, what would have happened if the treatment hadn't been applied, uh, isn't particularly credible. In the United States, a program called 21st Century Community Learning Centres uh, was being touted by uh, politicians, including Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, for the fact that those who went into these after-school programs 
did better in subsequent years. I'm just going to think about that for a moment. Their argument is that this program worked because kids learned more in the next few years. Their counterfactual was that if kids hadn't gone into these after-school programs, then a third grader would have continued to read at third grade level, uh, would have continued to behave like a third grader. Only the, the after-school programs prevented them being frozen as a third grader for life. And now, of course, that's ridiculous. But that's often what we're doing in, in practice when we're doing a before-after comparison, particularly focusing on younger people. Randomisters from uh, Mathematica, which does a lot of social policy randomised trials in the US, then came along and randomly evaluated 21st century community learning centres and found that a billion dollar program uh, was failing to help the kids it was intended to assist. Uh, indeed, they found more than that. Children attending the 21st century community learning centres were more likely to act up in class, uh, perhaps because they were learning some of those tricks in the after-school program. A multi-billion dollar program uh, was hurting, not helping, America's youth. The same is true of Scared Straight, uh, a sort of life imitates art program that came out of a 1978 uh, Academy Award winning documentary. Uh, the idea of Scared Straight is if we take youngsters who've uh, committed low-level offences, such as shoplifting, uh, and put them behind bars for a day, then they will be scared onto the straight and narrow uh, and never uh, think, think again about uh, committing a crime. Uh, low quality evaluations suggested the program worked. But when the randomisters got into the act, they found that like those 21st century community learning centres, scared straight was actually doing damage. That those who were engaged in scared straight were more likely to offend. You can tell your own stories as to why this might have been the case, but one theory was that kids had a horrific vision of uh, jail and scared straight actually gave them a sense of prison that wasn't as bad as they thought. Prison might have been a scary place to the people designing scared straight, but for the delinquent kids participating in it, scared straight didn't scare them at all. And so scared straight has been largely discontinued. Uh, during the COVID pandemic, we saw much the same with hydroxychloroquine. A treatment which appeared to be good in observational studies, those kind of before-after studies, but when tested in a randomised trial, turned out to do no better than a placebo. This shouldn't be that surprising. If you look at cancer treatments, only about 1 in 10 cancer treatments that look promising in the lab make it through stage 1, 2, 3 uh, trials and make it all the way through to market. Uh, if you look at the What Works Clearinghouse in the United States, uh, it typically finds that only about a tenth of the treatments subjected to randomised trials end up, end, end up being successful. Uh, in our evaluations of social policy, uh, we're getting similar numbers, somewhere between a quarter and a tenth of promising programs work. Uh, this doesn't mean that we should stop trying to address long-term societal challenges. The Indigenous Closing the Gap targets are really worth uh, trying to attain. But it does mean that we should cease hanging our hat on a particular solution, being the kinds of social policy wonks who are devotees of a program rather than devotees of solving a problem. 
as Esther de Flo, who uh, picked up the Nobel Prize in economics, uh, put it, uh, you should be passionate about the means of finding out whether things work, but not passionate about particular interventions. We need increasingly to think about systematising randomised trials. I was uh, commissioner on a report uh, brought down uh, by the Evidence Commission, uh, headquartered out of McMaster University earlier this year. Uh, one of the things we found was that too frequently policymakers were relying on the results of a single study. The risk of that is it gives you what happened with uh, hydroxychloroquine. Uh, when, for example, Donald Trump touted the results of a single study rather than looking at the totality of the evidence. One of the things we've urged in the Evidence Commission report is a better use of meta-analyses or systematic reviews in which researchers have looked at all of the studies in the field and combined them, getting additional statistical power from aggregating up all of those component studies and sifting between those which, which use a more rigorous methodology and those that use a less rigorous methodology. During the COVID pandemic, there are even things uh, known as living evidence reviews, uh, updated not every few years, but every few weeks uh, to pick up the latest science. That's something the Ramsey Foundation could easily do here. Uh, with some of our top problems, we should potentially be having living evidence reviews. At the very least, we should have more systematic reviews. The Cochrane Collaboration has been doing this very effectively for many years in the area of medicine. And the Campbell Collaboration has been doing it effectively in the area of social, po social policy. Uh, so distilling the evidence uh, is absolutely vital. And as we distill, we also need to replicate. Uh, the replication crisis, which started in psychology but has in, since spread right across social science, has taught us that many published findings are wrong. The more exciting, headline-worthy a study seems, the more you should wonder about its, uh, its replicability. Encouraging replications and then building up a body of evidence based on the original study and its replications ought to be a priority for all of us. So I've told you about a lot of interventions which were shown through randomised trials not to work, and some which were, chosen, which were shown to cause harm. That should leave us all with a sense of modesty about our ability to make a difference but also uh, with a sense that the ethical questions around randomised trials should, don't always turn on assigning people to an effective treatment or a substandard control group. In the case of 21st century community learning centres or Scared Straight, I would want my children to be placed in the control group. These are programs which the researchers thought would help but through a rigorous evaluation were shown to hurt. If we absolutely know that a program works, we can argue that it's unethical to run a randomised trial and deny it to some worthy people. But if we don't know that a program works, you can similarly argue that it's unethical not to subject it to a randomised trial, not to ensure that we're making a positive difference uh, rather than hurting. Uh, we've seen randomised trials that have produced effective COVID vaccines, uh, early childhood programs that transform lives, uh, drug courts which assist with the addiction problem as well as pu punishing offenders, uh, and 
the, uh, the program, some of the programs coming out of uh, uh, incarceration, suggesting that cognitive behavioural therapy can make a big difference. Uh, randomisters are all around us, making a difference not simply in, uh, in social policy, but also in development policy. Uh, the randomisation being done by now by organisations such as uh, JPAL is transforming development economics. Serious firms are randomising on almost everything they do. The Netflix uh, recommendation algorithm is rigorously randomised. Amazon says that there's barely a pixel on their homepage that hasn't been subjected to a randomised trial. United Airlines are running randomised trials to test how their loyalty programs operate. And if you're a holder of a Coles flyby card, uh, then you're part of a big randomised trial because one in a hundred Coles flyby members are part of the control group so that they can see whether their marketing programs work. Randomised trials are just what you do if you're serious about building a better feedback loop and finding out what works. Uh, I really hope the Paul Ramsey Foundation will become the epicentre for randomised trials in Australia. Look forward to your questions. Andrew, thank you, thank you so much for that um, engaging and passionate sort of advocacy for randomised trials. So when Glenn messaged me yesterday to say, um, would, you like to t uh, would you be open to taking my space tomorrow? The first thing I thought was, um, crap, did I pack a tie? And, uh, <laughs> alas, the answer to that was no. Um, the second thing I thought was, all right, I better brush up on the topic. And when I started looking at it and I realised we were talking about RCTs, I kind of said, Fantastic. It's something that I've been nerding out on for so long, of, uh, such a long part of my career that I found that presentation just um, uh, very engaging um, and, and a call to action for us. So I'm sure there are plenty of questions, both from the floor and from, um, from colleagues joining us online. So Alexandra's got the mic. Hey, Andrew, that was fantastic. And uh, sorry, thank Gail for the foundation. <laughs> so when we, we did the social impact bonds, and Mike will remember this, and actually social impact bonds are a financial vehicle, really it was an excuse to do RCTs properly. But my question is, if you get elected into government, you know, you talk about the meta-analysis, and you'll be familiar with the Washington State Institute, 